Hello, my name is Dean Bobar, and I am the Adult Life Minister at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. As a church, we are seeking to cultivate a vibrant community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world so our neighbors may also experience God's goodness. You're listening to our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. The church in Corinth was a hot mess. A young man is living incestuously with his stepmom. Church members are suing one another. People are going to prostitutes. Others are saying married couples shouldn't be having sex at all. Some were stuffing their faces at the communion table while others would go away hungry. The spiritual gift of tongues was being used to spiritually humiliate people. And still others were denying a bodily resurrection because of this weird view that our bodies are worthless anyway. Like I said, the church in Corinth was a hot mess. And Paul addresses all of these issues one at a time, which is why summarizing 1 Corinthians is exceptionally difficult. It reads a bit like a laundry list of errors that Paul is correcting. This is probably why you likely haven't heard very many sermon series on 1 Corinthians. And knowing just a tiny bit of background to the letter, and also Paul's theological framework, will help us hear more clearly what the Lord is intending to say to us through Paul in this letter. So, a tiny bit of background. First of all, this is an ongoing conversation. 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul has written to the Corinthian church. We know this because in chapter 5, verse 9, it says, I, Paul, wrote to you in my letter not to blah, blah, blah. He goes on. So we know that this is not the first letter that Paul has written. We also know that the church in Corinth had written back to Paul in response to a previous letter. And we know this because in chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, In other words, Paul is responding to a letter that the church in Corinth had written back to him. Now, the important thing for us to recognize here is that we are entering into a conversation that has already been going on when we read 1 Corinthians. And in this conversation, Paul is admonishing the Corinthian church because of some very wrong beliefs that have led to some very wrong actions. Paul is writing to believers, to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers. This is not an evangelistic letter. This is not Paul, as winsomely as he possibly can, writing the gospel to people who have not yet heard it. No, he's writing to the church. He's writing to people who should know better about the things that he's writing about. And what we do learn here is that there is a place for correction, for church discipline. There are moral and ethical standards that are consistent with the gospel, and believers need to be corrected sometimes. Truth needs to be spoken. 
In fact, Paul is going to argue that the Corinthians' unethical behavior is serving to undermine the gospel itself. And this is why Paul is compelled to write to the Corinthians yet again. And as you know, because we have a second letter to the Corinthians in our Bibles, Paul will continue writing to them. These are big issues for Paul. So, the first little bit of background that's helpful for us to know is that we are entering into a conversation that is already taking place, and it's a conversation about various beliefs and practices that the church in Corinth have adopted that are untrue to the gospel. The second bit of helpful information for us is to know the theological framework for the letter. Now, that sounds like a fancy word, but listen, it's really not that complicated. Here's what I mean. Paul frames the letter intentionally with the cross at the beginning and the resurrection at the end. That's the frame that he puts the letter inside. The beginning of the frame is the cross. The end of the frame is the resurrection. And this framework of cross resurrection is the theological lens through which everything else in the letter must be seen and understood. So in other words, as Paul is writing about these various ethical and moral issues, we are led to ask the question, what does the cross say about these things? What does the resurrection say about these things? We've got to talk about sex in light of the cross and the resurrection. We've got to talk about the Lord's Supper in light of the cross and the resurrection. We've got to talk about spiritual gifts and particularly the gift of tongues in light of the cross and the resurrection. That's what I mean by seeing this theological framework as, well, as the framework of all of these various issues that Paul is addressing. For example, the Corinthians misunderstood what it means to be spiritual, and this has led to some really unhealthy practices. For example, the Corinthians thought that speaking in tongues was actually the language of the angels, which meant for them that if you spoke in tongues, you had arrived at your spiritual destination. You were speaking in the language of angels. You have arrived. You are spiritually mature. And if you had already arrived at your ultimate spiritual destination, well, then there's no room for suffering in the Christian life. And if there's no room for suffering, then there's no room for a suffering Messiah, nor the cross upon which he suffered and died. And this is why Paul begins the whole letter defending the cross as the wisdom of God, even though it appears as foolishness to people. Likewise, if speaking in tongues was the language of angels and, quote, evidence that you had arrived spiritually, well, then that means all other spiritual gifts are less significant. Nothing can be as significant as speaking in the language of angels. And Paul is so concerned about this abuse that he devotes all of chapters 12, 
13 and 14 exclusively to spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Paul wants the church in Corinth to understand the nature of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Along these same lines, the Corinthians so misunderstood the nature of spiritual maturity that they wrongly believed that greater spiritual maturity meant lesser engagement in the physical or material realm. In other words, the more spiritual you were, the less interested you would be in the physical world. This is why some were suggesting that sexual intimacy between husbands and wives was unspiritual or at least unnecessary. You can read about that in chapter 7. Well, the church in Corinth, as I have said, was a hot mess. All of these issues bubbling to the surface, causing all kinds of chaos and disruption in the church. And do you know, this is actually an encouragement to me because God uses broken communities like these to propel his mission forward. The church in Corinth becomes a living example of the power of Jesus Christ to transform hearts, to reconcile relationships, to restore broken communities. And if the power of the cross, if the power of Jesus Christ crucified can transform the people and problems that we can see in the church in Corinth, then there is hope for me. Praise the Lord. And so as you read through this letter of Paul to the Corinthians, may you be reminded that our God can do it again. He can do it again in our community. He can do it again in your hearts. And as you read, may your faith rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. That's from chapter 2, verse 5. And that is Paul's hope, and that's my prayer for you. May your faith rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God to transform your life, the life of the church, and the life of the world. Friends, blessed reading to you. Thanks so much for joining us for our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our Year in the Bible campaign to subscribe or learn how you can become engaged with us as a church, please visit us at cpchb.org.